That's good. And here's the deal. We, we prayed that uh, prayer because we've been reading in Scripture. If you guys remember 2 Corinthians, we were talking in chapter 3. Do you guys remember when we talked about the glory that Moses experienced of God in his face that shone when he came down from Mount Sinai? You guys remember that? Jog your memory a little bit. But remember that same passage how it says, shouldn't we expect a far greater glory now that we, a New Testament church, have the power of the Holy Spirit living in our lives every single day? And because of that, then we need to be able to expect the miraculous in our life. We need to pray for impossible things because we serve an impossible God, right? We need to not limit our prayers to, God, can I have a nice day tomorrow? But say, God, can you heal my broken and busted marriage? God, can you heal me from HIV? God, can you get me out of the hole of debt that I'm in and set me free? We need to pray big, heavy, audacious prayers. And there's part of the inspiration for that, uh, other than the Word of God, was a book that we read. And some of us are reading right now. We have over 200 leaders in our church reading this book that's called Sun Stand Still. It's a book by Stephen Furtick. Anybody in here reading that book or read that book lately? There's a bunch of you guys in there. It looks like this. If you want to pick it up, it's in the bookstore. You can order it on your Kindle or your iPad or, you know, whatever. Order it from Amazon. But the premise of that book is about... um, Dreaming big prayers, about praying the kind of impossible prayers where Joshua had asked, asked God to stop the sun in the sky in Joshua chapter, chapter 10 so he could finish defeating his enemies. And it says there's never been another day like that before or since where God did the impossible and he stopped the sun in the sky. And he's saying, we ought to be the type of people, if we can expect far greater glory than Moses, we should be asking for big stuff in our lives. And so we preached on that and that guy led to his testimony being HIV free. But... We heard first of this guy, Stephen Furtick, this pastor, um, when I went on a trip to Hillsong Church for the Hillsong Conference in July. And a lot of times we go on these conferences and we get blessed and we want to be able to share with you guys, our church family, what the blessing was to the leadership of the church. And so we're actually going to watch a video tonight. My dad's away on vacation and I'm kind of filling in while he's gone. But for tonight, we wanted to show this video. And it's of this guy. He's a young pastor, Stephen Furtick. He wrote that book. He wrote a new book called Greater. The story of him is he's, he's wanted to be in ministry his whole life. And in 2006, God called, called him to plant a church in uh, North Carolina. He planted a church called Elevation Church. That church since 2006 till now, now numbers over 10,000 people. It's just crazy, the, the growth that he's experienced. But not only that, but they're a super generous church. They're a giving church. He's given millions away to different organizations and needy people in his area and around the world. He's mobilized thousands of his church members to go into the community and to meet the needs of people all around him. And they're bringing in the lost and they're meeting needs. And he's just a really great guy. And he was at the Hillsong Conference. We heard him. We were blessed by his message on encouragement. And I wanted to bring that home to share with you guys. I believe you're going to be blessed with that right now. We're going to show a video of Stephen Furtick from the Hillsong Conference. So take your notes out. I promise you, you will be taking notes and writing down some quotes that are going to speak to your life. There's one little qualifier I got to make known in here because otherwise you're not going to catch a joke that he's making and you're going to go, what is he talking about? There's another pastor at the conference that was teasing him. They were just having a good natured kind of teasing kind of thing back and forth. And so he, he takes a little dig at his friend Judah Smith, who's from the city church in uh, Washington. And um, he says something about he teases him about wearing his wife's shirt. What that's all about is, you, you won't understand unless I preface it with this, is Judah Smith came out the day before and he's got a real new hipster style or whatever. So all his clothes are like super tight and his jeans are like rolled up to here and everything like that. So Stephen Furtick makes a comment towards that. So when you hear that joke and he says, oh, Judah Smith, you're wearing your wife's shirt, 
That's what it's all about. Because everybody came to me after Friday night service going, what is he talking about? How does that relate? So anyway, that's just a side comment. You'll get the joke now. You can thank me later. Now you know what he's talking about. But get your notes ready. You're going to be blessed. Um, the, the passage is in Matthew chapter 11. But um, let's check out the screens for, Judith, or, uh, for Stephen Furtick. Here we go. Matthew chapter 11. Do you have Matthew chapter 11 in your Bible? hope so. Okay. Matthew chapter 11, verse 1 through 11. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, this is John the Baptist, heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. I believe that each one of us will be going home with a good report of what we've heard and what we've seen. Verse number six says, blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. And then verse seven says, as John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind. If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in Prada? Nope. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, more than a prophet. This is the one. Everybody say, this is the one. This is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth. Last verse. Among those born of women, and that covers a lot of people. <laughs> Most of us fall into that category. There's not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist, yet he was least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. I want to use this as a title for our Closing message of the conference. They've been putting a lot of hype and expectation and pressure on this night. It's the best night of the thing, and I'm like, God, don't let me fumble across the goal line. So I wanted to pull out a title that would set it off. I want to call it the most encouraging message you've never heard. I want to use that for a title. You like it? Good, good. If you like the title that much, this sermon, this sermon is just, just pure encouragement to you. And the reason that it seemed a little odd to me to preach that type of message for the last night is because unless you're a really miserable person, you should feel pretty encouraged by this point in our journey together. You'd have to be, you'd have to be a pretty terrible human being to not feel encouraged if you've been sitting through this all week. So it might feel like if I were to preach a message on encouragement, it would be overdose or supersaturation. But if I bring it to you real simply, then hopefully um, what God has shown you this week, there'd be nothing sadder than if he showed you stuff, but you didn't have the courage to go and act on it. If you think of encourage more literally, the, the word would mean that you should 
put courage into someone. Put courage into someone. And I want to break down the um, setting of this text a little bit. And I'm going to preach three points on the most encouraged. Take note, Judah Smith. Three points. I might not be able to wear my wife's shirts and pull it off, but I can preach three points. Take the hit. They're laughing because it's true. All right. But before I get to the three points, just a really quick setup. Frustration could be defined this way. Frustration is the gap between what you expect and what you experience. That'd be a simple definition for frustration or disappointment. Frustration is the gap between what you expect and what you experience. So I've heard preachers talk about John the Baptist from the standpoint that he was losing his faith and that's why he sent the messengers to Jesus to check and see if everything was still on point and in position. John the Baptist came preaching that there would come one mightier than him. Somebody he wasn't worthy to lace the shoelaces of. And when Jesus came, John said clearly, this is the one I was talking about. Without a trace of doubt. Now, some things have happened. John is locked away in prison. said that in the text. He didn't do anything wrong to land himself in prison and, and to stay shut up away from the ministry of Jesus, he he actually did something right. He stood for righteousness. He was prophetic. And I told the church this weekend, it'd probably be good for Jam to hear this, that you'll hear a lot, you'll hear a lot when you're young about the consequences of disobedience. You know, you get this disease if you sleep around and you, you know, if you don't learn to manage your money, you're going to be broke and all that. But there are also consequences to obedience that you need to be aware of. That sometimes following Jesus uh, will not lead to something that right away seems better for you. And, and, and so John's in that situation where he gave his church away to Jesus. He put, he put his whole ministry in the hands of, of Jesus. He shut down his church, sent his followers away, said this is the one. But now he's asking questions, is this the one? So the sense I get from John here isn't necessarily that he's doubting Jesus sinfully, but just like we all need from time to time reassurance and, and affirmation, uh, he's, he's sending out messengers to bring back a report, is this it? Because I think, based on the evidence, John goes on to give his life in that prison, he had his head cut off, I think John was perfectly willing to give his life for Christ, he just, he just wanted to know, is this it, is this the plan? Is this the purpose? Because if it is, I'll do it. I'm not backing down. I'm not going to deny you. I'm not going to betray you. I'm not going to stop what you started. Uh, I'm going to follow through on this, but I just need to know, is this it? And I guess probably one of the problems about being a younger preacher that I'll understand a little better later on is that time can talk you out of your dreams as you go forth in life because you know, there's this huge gap between what you expect 
when you're getting started and what you experience. And a guy like me comes up and has, I don't know, a lot of, a lot of wild, naive, childlike faith that God's going to do great things. That's, that's like the signature riff of my ministry, man, audacious faith. Believing God to do stuff that's so big, we'll have to blame him when he, when he does it. Now, I will say that my definition of big changed a lot this week when I saw the impact of this ministry. And now I got to go back and, and blow my staff away with the imagination of what I have seen here. And, and expectation is a funny thing because what the devil wants to do is, is to wedge some discouragement between what you expect and what you experience. And so when you have a frustrated expectation or when you have a disappointment in your life like John did here, you probably don't have many disappointments on this level represented in this room, but any disappointed expectation, the devil wants to bring your expectation down to the level of your experience. Take your dreams away, take your faith away, take your hope away, because he can't steal your calling. But he can steal your passion for your calling. He can steal your, your hope in your calling. And, and, he can, and he can steal the joy of your calling. If he can wedge disappointment between what you expect and what you experience. And so we all have frustrated expectations. Uh, it could be a job. It, it, could be, it could definitely be a ministry. Thought it would be one way, it's another. It could be a relationship. Some of you might be sitting next to your disappointed expectation tonight don't look at them look at the screen we'll get through this John says is this it am I gonna die here you know if, if you helped Jesus start his ministry and you were his second cousin and you gave him your church you'd want to know too is this it is this how it's gonna be because because I just need to know. And, and I bet a lot of people came to this conference, sat through a lot of stuff, feeling pretty encouraged right now, but you know how quickly that encouragement can evaporate. So you know you're going back home to some expectations that you'll bring from here that are likely to be disappointed in your experience. And so that creates a fear. And while God's speaking, you're excited on one hand, scared on the other, at the same time, full of faith and scared to death because you're going back home to some situations that will frustrate your expectations. Can you relate to this at any level in the last 24 months of your life? Frustrated expectations or the fear of frustrated expectations. So you get like the Shunammite woman. Don't get my hopes up. Don't tell me I'm going to have a baby. I don't even want to hear it. I don't want to go there. I'm rotting away in prison. Jesus is doing this great ministry tour. John hears about it. It should encourage him. It discourages him. Because even though Jesus is doing great things, John feels cropped out of the picture. I think a lot of people in here believe that God can do, is doing, will do great things. But they, they crop themselves, they Photoshop themselves out of the picture in that regard. So, so John wants to know, is this it? Is this it? My wife, Holly, she always, her whole life she tells me she just wanted to have a baby, to be married and have a baby. That's what she dreamed about, you know, growing up 
She said she went through like a two-week stint where she wanted to be the first female president of the United States of America. But other than that two weeks, all of her life that she can remember, all she ever wanted to do is get married, have a baby. Then we had a baby. And I don't, I don't mean that we don't love our kids. We love them a lot. I'm starting, you know, I love them a lot more after the first, I would say about 28 months is when the love becomes, I mean, I tell people I love the babies too. I don't feel any love for them. I just have faith that I do love them. I mean, I, I feel love for, I felt love for our, our son Elijah when he was born, but then he, he ripped that love away from, with his crying for the next two years. He was this fussy baby. He was a difficult baby. And so I remember about a year into that, Holly was crying and one day and Elijah was crying and, and so I, I was like, oh, is this it? And I looked at her and, and she was just, she was just beside herself. Is this it? This is what I've dreamed about my whole life. Is this, is this what it's going to be like? And some of you who have teenagers are like, no, it gets much worse than that. That was the good part. If you want to see your expectations frustrated, just get them to age 13 and then that will complete the cycle. But you all know what I'm talking about. Is this it? Or should we expect someone else? Now I want to talk about encouragement. I went to a marriage seminar a few years ago and something they said really stood out to me. The person said, this is a principle that will change your marriage and really change any relationship in your life. If you think something good, say it. If you think something good, say it. Take the filter off about good things that you want to say to people. And if you think something good about your spouse, that was the context, say it. Now, when Jesus gets this message, he says, go back, tell John what you see and what you hear. Tell him that things are working. This is working. I'm working. It's happening. Everything he prophesied is coming to pass. Tell him, tell him it's moving forward. And then he goes off in verse 7. Let's look at that again. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? He goes on and on. What did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, more than a prophet. That's bad. Jesus says, John is LeBron. John, no, no, John is not LeBron. John is, John is Jordan. John is LeBron and John is LeBron Jordan. John is an amalgamation of, of prophet and faith. And, and John is awesome. So I wrote down, I thought that was really encouraging thing for Jesus to say about John as he rotted away in prison. And so I wrote down a few things that people have said to me, and I was hesitant about doing this. I've never done this before, showed these statements, but some, a couple of the most encouraging things people have ever said to me that changed my life on the spot. And, and some of them changed my life a little after the fact, because some of you are encouraged right now but you're just high on what we've experienced. And the sermon I'm going to give you will be something you can preach back to your circumstance. The sermon I'm, I'm going to give you will be some words in your mouth, some tangible things that you can say, some thoughts in your heart that will combat the discouragement. Encouragement is powerful. So when I was graduating from college, this guy who I went to work for, he's talking to me on the phone, and I was, I was nervous about transitioning from college life to adult life. I, I, I felt like, man, I had a good ministry in college. I started this choir um, and we, we grew this ministry to like 600 people. That was 80 people when we started out and we saw God do all this stuff. And I was scared like that might've been it for me. That might've been the highest I was ever going to go. And my friend, this guy, Clayton King, he said this quote to me. I think they have it for the screen. He said, it's very simple. 
God's only going to use you more. God's only going to use you more. I don't know why that combination of words in that moment did what it did in me, but I just believed it. I was like, that's right. He is. It sounds silly to think that I would be 22 years old thinking God's done with me, but I just kind of, I just kind of needed to hear that. Like that if I stay faithful to Jesus, if I, if I stay obedient to him, he's only going to use me more, not less. He, he's not into bringing people down. You know, he's into, he's into lifting up the name of Jesus through people that he raises up to specific places where he's called them to do great works for him. And he's only going to use you more. My pastor, uh, Pastor Craig Rochelle, he's going to be a conference next year. Pastor Craig Rochelle. You heard him before? You love him? You better love him. I'll come down there. How many of you are, re- are, how many of you are not registered for conference next year yet? Will you raise your hand? You haven't registered yet? All right. If somebody's got their hand raised next to you, karate chop them in their sternum for me. No, it's going to be great. That will be the, ne- the next, next to just praying and asking God to continue the work. I think the, the second best thing you can do to seal what God did is to go ahead this year and, and make a plan and take a step and stretch it out and say, by faith, next year we're bringing twice as many people next year. Go ahead and register twice as many people. Believe God will send them to you. That would be good, I think. Personally, I like the conference. I would register twice as many people. It's life-changing. But here's what Pastor Craig said to me one time. And again, it's very simple. I don't know why it meant so much, but he said this. He looked at me. He, he pastors this big church. He pastors the, the biggest attended church in America. Most people go to his church of any church in America. He said this. He said, I believe that you have the integrity to handle. I think we have the quote. You can put it up there. I believe that you have the integrity to handle success. I needed to hear that. Because there were, there were some people that were very critical of me. Social media was getting in my head. And I was starting to believe what they were saying. That I was a fly-by-night. That I didn't have the integrity. Even though in my heart I knew I loved Jesus, I was starting to believe their bad report about me. And when he looked me in the eyes, he's just a, a man of God, he's about 10 years older than me, he goes, hey, I believe you have the integrity to handle the success that God's going to give you. It did something for me. I needed that. I needed that. And I'm not putting all this out there for like an endorsement of me, like I'm running for an office or something. That's kind of why it, it's just stuff that's meant a lot to me. How many of you have an encouragement that somebody spoke to you somewhere that, that was just what you needed, just when you needed it, and they didn't even know how what they said ministered to you. Some of you had that moment this week. Speaker didn't even know who you were, didn't even know you were out there. It was exactly what God wanted to get to you through their mouth. Encouragement, so powerful. Uh, here, here's another one. Put the next one up on the screen I gave you. This is um, from my wife, who a lot of you know I affectionately call her the Holly Spirit. Her name is Holly. She just tells me this all the time when I walk out the door. She says, you've got what it takes. You got what it takes. You got what it takes. I need to hear it sometimes. Here, here's another one from somebody that I love a lot. You can put the next one up there. This is a new one. Because when he said it, he was like, we got Steve Furtick tomorrow. He said, I reckon. And I, and I don't know if he actually said reckon or not, but. I put it in because I like the word and I'm taking it back home. He's like, I reckon that Steve Furtick is a gun. So I was thinking a bunch of things at that moment. 
I was like, um, I was like, first of all, all right, why is it that, why, why is it that, why is it that we use such aggressive terminology to say nice things about people? And then secondly, I asked Israel later, Israel Houghton, I was like, hey man, what's about the gun? Is that good or bad? Should I feel okay about that? He's like, oh man, that's great. I was like, no man, you're lying to me. You're like, you're messing with me because you've been over here a lot more than me and you're telling me something that's not true. He said, no man, a gun is like really good. And he called Joel Bell over and he was like, yeah, a gun is good. So I'm going back home and I'm going to... I'm going to remember that. Some, I'm going to be standing there fighting some battle, and I'm going to be like, you know what? Pastor Brian Houston said that he reckons I'm a gun. And that's going to help me beat the devil in some future battle, because encouragement is powerful. All right? So, it must have encouraged John the Baptist, you know, while, while he feels like he's rotting away in prison, while Jesus is on a ministry tour. Jesus is casting out demons healing sick people, preaching the gospel, helping the poor. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. A lot of scholars believe that's why Peter denied him. <laughs> Joseph Prince. Just because I can. That's why I did that. Just because I can. I didn't even need it. Just because I can. Might not ever get that again. But listen, it must have encouraged John to hear that. He's more than a prophet. He's, he's the greatest man that's ever been born of a woman. It must have encouraged him to hear that. Except for the fact that if you look at the text again, John the Baptist never got that message. Because it says that, that Jesus sent his messengers away after he gave the first little part of his speech. And then he turned to the crowd. Can we put it back up there? I think it's like verse 6. I want you to see this with your eyes. It says that, no, that's not the right one. Go to verse 5. Yeah, no, go to verse 7. Yeah, yeah. As John's disciples were what? Leaving. Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. Now, I got to wonder, if God is the God who puts courage into our hearts, if God is the God of all comfort, why would Jesus... Talk about John behind his back instead of sending the message where he could hear it to his face. And it's as if the Lord spoke to me through the text. Jesus didn't want John's faith to rest in the work that John could do. Jesus wanted John's faith to rest in the work that Jesus was doing. So Jesus said, go tell John this is working. I'm doing it. Gospel's going forth. Go tell him that. Then he turns to the crowd and says, let me tell you about John. John's my boy. And he starts talking about John behind his back. Now, I want to let you in on a few things tonight as I, as I wind this message down, as we wind this conference down. Just a few things that I believe Jesus is saying behind your back. See, we don't need messengers to tell us what Jesus said. We have his word we have his spirit. We've got one up on John. We, we have an encourager that lives on the inside of us. And I, I just want to give you a few things that I believe Jesus would say to all of us tonight as conference ends. Three things. Three things God would say about you tonight. Number one, I believe the Lord would say to somebody, you're doing better 
than you think you are. Chris, I feel like somebody needs to hear tonight, you're doing better than you think you are. John wasn't putting many points on the board. That's why he wondered. I didn't do it. No, I didn't. They said, don't touch it on the bottom. I didn't. They said, don't touch it on the bottom. I didn't. I didn't touch it on the bottom. They just did that. Touch somebody next to you. Why? It messed up. That was a bad moment. Were you just like helping me get over it? Thank you. You are great. You're as great as you seemed when I was watching you do that for him. It's, it's all true. My expectations are not disappointed. Touch somebody next to you tell them you're doing better than you think you are. You're doing better than you think you are. You're doing better than you think you are. And I think people need to hear this. You know how preachers say dumb stuff? I got this friend, I got this friend, he preaches this leadership talk. It's called dumb dichotomies. A dichotomy, a dichotomy is when you divide two things. And, and there are certain things in the Bible that need to be divided, like serve God or serve the devil, you know, serve God or serve money, flesh or the spirit. Those are called divine dichotomies, right? Where it's either or. You've got to choose this day whom you'll serve. Choose life, choose death. That's a divine dichotomy. But then preachers will do dumb dichotomies where, where they'll try to separate two things that shouldn't be separated. I think it's been said several times in the conference. I'm not going to say by who because I don't have time for the cheering. But you, you shouldn't separate what God has joined together, you know? Like, of course, grace and truth would be one of those. Or, or you would also say like, here's another one people do. We don't need to encourage people. We just need to exalt Jesus. Why? No, don't cheer for that. That's, that's a dumb dichotomy. Who says it's got to be either or? What if, what if I encourage people by exalting the Jesus in their life so that Jesus can increase more and more as they decrease? So, I just feel like there's somebody who might be tired, weary, frustrated, disappointed in yourself or someone else just to know, I don't know if this is a mom, a single mom, a mom of preschoolers, a mom of demon-possessed middle schoolers. I don't know where it fits in, but, but God wants somebody to know tonight. Please help me preach this strong God. You're doing better than you think you are. You're doing better than you think you are. You're doing better than you think you are. Doing better than you think you are. John, the blind see, lame walk, deaf hear, good news is preached to the poor. It's working. Now I need your faith to be in that. I'm about to say some stuff about you, but I'm going to say it behind your back. Because if you get your faith in you, it's just a matter of time before you disappoint your own expectations. And this isn't going to go very far. But if you can put your faith in what I'm doing, not in your activity... But in my identity, Jesus says, then you can, you, can, you can stand in the darkest prison of your life and preach to yourself saying, I'm doing better than the devil's telling me I'm doing. I, I, I have, I have to encourage myself to even get up here and do what I do. When I get done doing what I do, 
and I put down the mic and walk off the stage, it won't matter how well it goes over, it won't matter how nice they are to me, how gratuitous they are in their applause, it won't matter, it won't matter how rowdy all, all of the jam students are, it won't matter how powerful we end, I'll walk out, I'll walk out, and I wish I would have done better. Now, if that actually made me preach better, then maybe I should do it. But condemnation doesn't do anything except to paralyze your potential. We go from strength to strength in God, from glory to glory with ever increasing glory. And one of the things about a conference like this is you see all the things that you aren't doing that you should do. But you'll never do the things you aren't doing that you should do until you first acknowledge all of the things that God has enabled you to do that you weren't doing. You, you've come a long way. Yeah, you got some distance to go. You got some issues to overcome. But let's start with this. At least you came to conference. A lot of people wouldn't be out here tonight. A lot of people wouldn't have taken off the time that you took to get here. A lot of people wouldn't have made the sacrifice that it took you to get here. So, so you might have a lot to do and a lot to fix when you got home, but at least you were here. Touch somebody, tell them, at least you came. Somebody else was supposed to come and didn't come. You're doing better than you think you are. Hey, preachers, you're preaching better than you think you are. Hey, singers, you're singing better than you think you are. Hey, Hillsong Conference volunteers, you made more of a difference than you could ever imagine this week. You changed our lives. You blessed us. You refreshed us. Don't you let the devil tell you that what you did didn't matter. You're doing better than you think you are. It matters a whole lot. A whole lot. And you're doing better than you think you are. See, I'm not a real big sports guy. I always try to, I always try to act like I'm a big sports guy because I think it makes me seem more manly and I'm insecure about the fact that I only have the hobbies of music and shopping. So I always like try to get into sports, but I don't know much about them just on a surface level. Certainly didn't care anything about the game that seemed to affect everybody at that deepest level of the core of their being. But there's one thing about sports that intrigues me and fascinates me. And it's more, more of a recent thing. In American football, and I asked Gary Clark, which by the way, his, his name is now a verb uh, in some situations. If you want to know more about that, you can ask him. But that would be a blessing if you help me get the word out on that. But I asked him, do they do this in rugby too? I said, do they have instant replay where they can overturn a ruling on the field? And he said, he said yeah, yeah, the official will go like that. And that means he wants to watch the video and look it over. So I was, I was thinking in American football, when, when they review a play on the field, like to make sure that the referee on the field got it right, in college football in America, they'll send the play to, a, to, a, to an official that's upstairs in a booth, and he'll look it over. And sometimes when he looks it over, nothing changes, the call on the field was correct, and it stands as it is, and they'll say the ruling on the field stands. But then other times, and this is like one of the only things that I like in sports. It's like, I don't know why. A lot of people think it slows down the game, that they have instant replay and they look it over and all that. But I just think it's so crazy how everything can seem to be going one way and the game can seem to be over. And then they'll say three words when they come on the intercom. They'll say this. They'll say, upon further review, the ruling on the field is overturned. Upon further review. I wrote those words in my notes tonight. Upon further 
review for somebody who is discouraged in your life. See, the ruling on the field may be that there's a deep depression hovering over your life that you're never going to get out of. But I believe what you did by coming here tonight, coming here this week, is you sent your situation upstairs to an official with a vantage point that you don't have. And upon further review, see, it seemed like your life wasn't making a difference, but you got here and you realized you're doing better than you think you are. You realize that God's grace is more powerful than you thought it was. So upon further review, the ruling on the field is overturned. Here's what that means. We don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. So what we saw on the surface isn't the way it is in actuality. Upon further review, hey, listen, teenager, you gave yourself away sexually many times before you came to this conference. You thought that would be just the way it was. That's the way it was for everybody else in your family. You were just going to go that route. You were just going to be that girl. You were just going to wear that label. But, but when you came here, you sent your situation, the whistle on the field blew, and you sent your situation upstairs. Now, there's a ruling coming down from heaven. Upon further review, you are not dirty. You are not used up. Your life is not over. You are not garbage. You are not rubbish. Upon further review, everything changed this week. You're washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. You have a future. You have a hope. It's not over. It's never over. Nothing's over. Nothing's wasted. Nothing's done. On further review, you're doing better than you think you are. You're doing better than you think you are. You're doing better than you think you are. Now, I want you to preach that to yourself seven times a day for the next week. I'm doing better than I think I am. God's doing stuff. I can see him doing it. God, I'm sending this upstairs. I'm, I'm, I'm going to pray about this. I'm going to get your perspective on this. I'm going to confess the word over this. I'm going to get a different, I'm going to get this ruling, this verdict overturned because I'm not going to live defeated like this. Upon further review, I believe what your word says. I believe your promise, God. Upon further review. Number two, and this one's kind of a long sentence because I wanted to have four points, but I needed it to be three for the sake of time, so I just put them together in a compound point. <laughs> Judah. Number two. You matter more than you think you do, and it's less about you than you think it is. Yeah, it's both. So, do people matter to God, or, or is it all about Jesus? Yes. It's, it's not either or, it's both and. Yeah. I just want to tell you something real quick. I was trying to tell this story to my kids the other day. They were asking me, like, who is... We were talk, talking about heroes, and they asked me if I had any heroes. And they, it's funny because they were, it was on Father's Day, and they were telling me that I was their hero and all this stuff. And they read this little book that Holly had them made, like, what's your, what does your daddy do? And they would answer that question, and she put all their answers in a book. They're four and six. The boys are four and six. And so their, their answers were really funny. Graham said that I was his hero because I, um, I was like um, David because I beat it up bad people. Yeah, and then Elijah said I was his hero because I was like Goliath because I was big and strong and they, they weren't in the same room when they said it so they had like contradictory opinions and they were like do you have a hero? I said and I tried to tell him about my grandfather Now he went to be with the Lord about 10 years ago but before, before he went to be with the Lord he 
he, he gave me a gift of a picture of, um, of love that I carried over into my marriage. And I'll just tell you real briefly, um, my grandmother had Alzheimer's for the, past, for the last, I think, 12 years of her life. And that disease, it's like dementia, it erodes your mind. She forgot who he was. She forgot who she was. And, but what I saw him do, every day he would go in the nursing home, sit with her for hours and hours and hours. He'd like comb her hair. She'd be nodding off sleeping. When she'd wake up, if she remembered who he was, she would scream at him and curse at him out of fear. And she wasn't that type of person. She was a sweet, he, he was a Methodist minister. He loved God. And he watched his wife die of Alzheimer's. And he, and he prayed for her and we believed she would be healed and kind of didn't go the way we wanted it to. And I don't know why. But one thing that he always would say that stood out to me is, if you asked him, how are you doing? He would always have the same answer. How you doing, Papa? I call him Papa. I say, how you doing, Papa? And he would always say, all the same answer every time. He'd say, 100%. 100%. Now, I thought that was kind of, you know, inspiring. But one day, as I reflected on it a little bit more, after he died and she died, and it was a very tragic kind of ending, I was just praying. I was like, God, what? I felt like he was lying when he said that, you know? Like he said he was 100%. He wasn't 100%. And it was like less inspiring for me and more like he was lying when he said it. And here's what God said to me about that. God said he wasn't lying. He was just measuring something different than you were measuring. Because you were trying to measure his happiness in his circumstance. And you were trying to measure the impact of his life from an earthly perspective. If you measure that stuff, he was lying. If you measure the facts... He was lying. It wasn't 100% at all. But if you measure his faith, his faith was never stronger than when his life was the hardest. It wasn't about him, you know? And he never got to preach to any big crowds, but I understand that because of who he was in my life, he's standing up here. He would have never thought. He never went outside of South Carolina to preach. It's a little state in He's a little state in America. He never would have imagined that I'd be talking. Because he never imagined I'd get to tell you this about him today. But, but yet he held on to his faith. His faith. His faith is what connect. His faith is what didn't allow his expectation of God's goodness to be defined by his experience of reality. I, I taught our church this. I taught him to say this. I want you to repeat it after me. My joy is not determined by what happens to me but what Jesus is doing in me and through me now preach that to the devil preach that to the devil you matter more than you think you do it's less about you than you think it is your circumstances don't have to be a hundred percent for your faith to be strong you're going to need this. I'm going to need this. We are leaving this atmosphere of inspiration overload and we're going into a battlefield and we'd better know how to encourage ourselves and encourage one another to keep our faith at 100%. The Bible says Abraham faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, but he didn't waver in his faith because it wasn't about his facts. It was about his faith. And number three, I want to tell you this and I'll close. 
Israel, if you and the worship team could come join me, I want to I share one more point with you that I think will change your life as we go forward. There's more in store than you think there is. And this is the one I want to preach real good. I got three minutes and 30 seconds, and I'm going to wear it out. I'm going to use every second of it, except those I just wasted telling you what I was going to do. <laughs> Jesus was talking about John behind his back for now. But what John didn't know and couldn't know is that soon he would see Jesus face to face. Just like John prepared the way for Jesus in life, he would prepare the way for Jesus in death. In some ways, it would be much worse for John than John could know. But in so many more ways, he would have a higher privilege than he would ever know. The first time I came to Australia, my boys were really confused. Because when I went to FaceTime with them on my iPhone, they wanted to know why is it light outside. I started trying to explain to them about the international dateline. My explanation didn't seem to register very well. And so finally I broke it down to this. I said, well guys, where I am it's tomorrow already. My oldest son, Elijah, we finished talking and he said something at the very end of our conversation. The moment he said it, I knew I was going to preach it one day. And it's my honor to impart it to you today. He said this, he said, Daddy, before you go, tell us what happens tomorrow. So I, I started making stuff up. I said, Tomorrow you are very obedient for your mommy. <laughs> I said, tomorrow is the most incredible day you've ever had. Because I, I was already there, so I just make up whatever I wanted to. God's word, this conference, God's presence gives you the power for your heavenly father to look in your today and tell you what happens in your tomorrow. God brought you to this conference to tell you what happens tomorrow. So I want to tell you what happens tomorrow just real briefly before we worship. In your tomorrow, God's already there. He sees you. He sees you full of, of faith and boldness and courage in your tomorrow. Now the Bible says that God calls things that are not and, and speaks to them as though they were. So God is already in tomorrow. He's already in your tomorrow. And here's what he says to you today. There's more in store for your tomorrow than you could ever imagine. That's why you have to look today in the face and preach to your today on the basis of what God has already said about your tomorrow. So, so I'm standing here to tell somebody today that when I was 16 years old, and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And all my friends made fun of me because I was a virgin and I wouldn't have sex with a girl. And I wanted to keep myself pure. And they all laughed at me and they said I was missing out. What I didn't know is that 
this would be my tomorrow. Standing here inspiring tens of thousands of people from all around the world. And I'm so grateful for a God who spoke to my today from the vantage point of his tomorrow. In your tomorrow, there's provision. In your tomorrow, there's resource. He'll never leave you, never forsake you. He's already in your tomorrow. He's already worked out the thing you're worrying about. He's already figured out the situation and the circumstance that's eating you alive. Why don't you just throw up your hands right now and say, God, I trust you with my tomorrow. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths in your tomorrow. If you believe he's a great God, give him praise.